at Northwest, so that doesn't feel so much like jumping from topic to topic every week. And this month, our theme is Pass It On. Pass it on. And this is actually our theme for the year. We, we try to pick, we pray about what um, our focus should be for each year. And so in January, we spend time talking about that theme. And so this is our theme for 2022. And we get passed it on from Matthew 28, where Jesus is instructing his disciples to go into the world, evangelize, make disciples. And so that is our focus for this year. How can we pass it on? Pass on our faith in evangelism, pass on the Christian disciplines that we've been growing in, pass on the passion for the specific ministries that God has put on our hearts. We are asking the Lord to help us pass it on in, in ways we can do that. So today we're going to be studying a few scriptures from the book of James. What does James say about New Year's resolutions? And we're actually just be studying five verses. So I'm going to give you just a little bit of background on this letter that was written to the early church, written by James. <clears throat> this, we call them books of the Bible. New Test, this is in the New Testament, but it actually was a letter that was written to the early church. And this is, they believe, one of the first letters uh, that were written to them. And so the book of James is really a book about Christian behavior. It's very practical in its instructions on how faith should influence your life. So it's not necessarily a book you would go to to learn the deep theological things of faith and how we come to faith. It's more of a book of action like because Christ has come into your life, you have accepted Christ and faith has changed you, this then is how your behavior should be changing. This is the action that accompanies a believer. And so this book is very direct, it's very intense, and don't we just love intense scriptures and when we get such uh, direct correction. So we're gonna enjoy it together today. And James is actually a half-brother of Jesus. So that's interesting. Imagine being raised and being told your brother was the son of God. And little clue for you that we see in John chapter seven, his brothers didn't buy it. <laughs> they were not on board with the claim of divinity in their brother. Uh, but we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul tells us that after Jesus was crucified, killed, buried, put in the tomb and resurrected, Jesus was appearing to many different groups of people. And Paul specifically mentions that he appeared to James. And from that point forward, James and Jude, his other brother, they were fierce followers of Jesus. And from that point on, we do no longer see James ever refer to himself to having any family ties to Jesus. From that point on, Jesus, uh, James calls himself a bond servant to Christ, a slave to Christ. So what a testimony that his family ended up believing and, and were saved, believing he was the son of God. Okay. Let's begin. We're gonna read the last five verses in chapter four of James. And so we're gonna read four of them and then we'll pause. Someone can click that for me, thank you. And then we'll pause after reading four and we'll, we'll think about the implications of them and then we'll save the last verse for our last thought. <clears throat> All right, let's read together. Come now, I'm gonna stop already, right there. Uh, come now is said, lots of times in James, and it's actually, it was like a way of getting their attention, like, come on, come on, like it's meant to be kind of like provoking, like, come on. So, come on, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? 
For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So just some light scriptures for us to, you know, think about this morning. Uh, Kind of tough words uh, from James. So here's where we're going to pause and let's just think through the implication of what James is saying here. To begin, it, it would be good to note that if there were ever two rivals in the history of mankind, the one that goes furthest back, before the Montagues and Capulets, before the Jets and the Sharks, but the guys are like, are those sports teams? No. <laughs> before Florida and Florida State, before these rivals, there have been the free spirits, the spontaneous, the spontaneous people with no plan, and then there's been the planners. And these are really the two rivals that have existed from the beginning of time. And I bring this up to say, because I see all the free spirits writing these scriptures down, and they're going to use these because they're saying, see, planning is bad. And one thing we know about free spirits versus planners is that they usually marry each other. And so for all of you spontaneous free spirits that are writing this verse down to bring up in your next family budget meeting, I don't think we can take from here that James is saying planning is bad or evil. It's not the planning, because we see in all throughout scriptures that there are many times that planning is important. Just think about Joseph. God gave Joseph a 14-year plan to save the lamb from a famine. Talk about a buzzkill. For the next 14 years, here's the plan you got to do. And we see lots of plans to build the early church, for, uh, to, to, to build the temple. So, so from this, we are not gathering that James is saying planning is the problem. James is urging Christians to reject arrogance and independence. The independence we feel from God. Not, it's not saying you can't move out of your parents' house and, and make a life for yourself. But there is something in the human heart that says, I want to do things my way. Me first. And if you don't think that's true, I just encourage you to read. Like the very first sin that we see, we see Satan falling. Satan rejects God in his arrogance and his desire to be independent from him. And then we see in the garden that Satan tempts Adam and Eve. And in their arrogance, they start to think, yeah, yeah, why can't I be like God? Why do I have to do things exactly his way? And so this is like the very basis of sin, is this desire that we have to to, to boast ourselves up in arrogance and to think that our own path is more important than the way God might be asking us to live. And so James is saying here, first of all, not just that it's so presumptuous. He's like, there's a lot of presumption here to say you even know what's gonna happen in a year, right? Because they're like, we're gonna go in a year from now, we'll be making money, we'll be trading. So he's saying, first of all, it's very presumptuous because you cannot, you don't know what's gonna happen in the next hour. But not only that, it wasn't just the presumption, it was also that it was all for worldly gains, the plans that he's addressing when he's talking to the early church, the things that are on their mind that they're hoping for, that they're talking about, that they're boasting about, it was for their own gain. How much money they'll make, where they'll travel. It wasn't even for the glory of God. 
You know, like, we'll start this church. We'll see this many people saved. We'll see the gospel spread. The, area, the boasting was of worldly plans. And so James is saying, look, if you're even going to claim any knowledge of what might happen in the future of anything you're planning, you should say, if the Lord wills it. And if you think about Paul and his writings, how often would Paul say, oh, I can't wait to come see you. I'm really longing to see you, if the Lord wills it. And then in the next letter, he's like, okay, on my next, my next trip, I'm planning to come visit you because I really want to spend some time with you, if the Lord allows it. Because Paul knew I could end up shipwrecked, I could end up in jail, God could tell me to go somewhere else. And so it's not bad to make plans and to have hopes and to, and to, to make a path forward. But what James is challenging us in is that what are we centering our plans on? He says, what is this life? What is the nature of this life that you are planning and boasting about? It's temporary. The plans you're making, they're all for temporary things that will perish. He even gives us the visual of mist. And some other translations say vapor. And he's trying to give us the perspective that as quickly as the mist in the morning vanishes, or the mist sometimes we have here on stage, as, as quickly as that mist goes away, that's how quick your life is in this temporary world. When you consider your life, let's just say, let's just say you get 100 years. You get 100 years on this earth. 100 years compared to eternity Eternity means it goes on forever and ever. And there is no end. And if that doesn't make your chest like, then maybe I'm just the crazy one. It's hard to fathom. It's hard to fathom never ending. But we as Christians, if you're a believer, you believe that this body, this world is temporary, but our spirit goes on forever with Christ, that we will go be with Christ forever, either with him forever or separated from him forever. And so James is trying to give us the perspective that our life is so short in comparison to eternity. We're like vapor and then we're gone. And yet we get so wrapped up in worrying and planning and stressing and saving. And it's good to save and it's good to plan. Those aren't bad things. But when our plans are centered around this temporary life that is not gonna follow you into the kingdom of heaven, into eternity, James is saying, fam, hear me out. We've already read it. We've already heard the word. James is saying how arrogant of us. How arrogant of us to build all of our plans and our dreams and, the, and the, the things that are the center of our life to be temporary worldly gains when you can't control it. We don't know what will happen. And so our challenge as Christians is that we are supposed to build our life inside of Christ. It says, on Christ the solid rock I stand. And on that foundation of Christ, then I build my life on top of that. So when I am looking for a career, I'm not like here I'm visiting God and then out here I go find my career and now I'm gonna find my mate and now I'm gonna start my family and now I'm gonna grow my business. No, no, no. We plant ourselves in the life of Christ, on the rock that is Christ, and then we trust that he will build our life on top of that, that he will add to that, that my identity 
is in Christ. My sexuality, my, my business plans, my family, it is all built on the identity and on the rock that is Christ because it's the only thing that cannot be shaken and it's the only thing that we take with us into eternity. If you think about Matthew 6.33, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and then all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first my kingdom. And this is the challenge for us as Christians is to stop and say, God, your goals first. Your goals first. And if you look at this, if you're like, well, what's the context of that? What's gonna be added? All wealth? Am I gonna be famous? Am I gonna be rich? No, no, no. This verse is talking about worrying, saying you're worrying about what you're gonna wear, what you're gonna eat, you're fretting about the trouble that's gonna come tomorrow. And he's saying, seek first my kingdom and then I will take care of all those other things that you're fretting about. And Jesus says here, before this, he said, even un unbelievers worry about those things. People that don't have faith worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear, what's gonna happen tomorrow. Jesus says, put me first. Put, seeking me, for, you know what this looks like? It says, God, when, we, when we're starting our New Year's resolutions, when you're making goals for this year, the challenge is to say, God, you tell me your goals for ministry first of how I'm supposed to pass it on. Before I come up with any other goals for my family, for my business, for my education, you tell me your goals first, and then I will build my goals around that. Amen. His goals first. His goals first. But when I think about the West, and, and at least specifically America, myself, it's like everything in our life is... It, it really is revolved around our planning and our timing. Because it's like, what school am I going to go to? What college? Because what career do I want? And these are not bad things. Please hear me out. I'm not saying it's bad. But that becomes a focus. And then it's like, well, I'll move to this place because it's the best option for my career or for an internship. And then, and then I'm going to pick specifically when I get pregnant because it'd be more convenient to get pregnant this month or after we've been married for this amount of time. And then I'm going to plan exactly when to launch my business. And planning is not bad but we put so much effort into planning our worldly gains. We fill up all our goals for the year and then, we've got all, and then we're like, oh yeah, God, you, you got anything you want me to add? Where would he put it? <laughs> and so then when God says, yeah, I really want you to, to take a step this year and, and, and reach out to your neighbors or start a group in your neighborhood or, or help the, the single mom neighbor help watch her kids on the weekend because you're a safe person who can watch her kids while she has to work. Whatever it is God might be saying, then it's scary because it's like, well, I don't know how I'm gonna do that. I don't have the time. I'd have to give something up <laughs> because we put our plans first and then we're like, we're, okay, yeah, I'll squeeze you in too, God. We sing that song, I'm not a singer, but we're like, I will make room for you. I got an hour on Saturday or maybe Sunday because I just realized I have something else I want to do. The, the, the urge as Christians, the draw that we have, the natural sinful nature wants to draw us towards independence away from God that we set our own plans, we chart our own path, and then we're like, but God's gonna direct me, and he will. But seeking first his kingdom means 
What if we lived the other way around where we ask God first, give me the spiritual download, God. Show me what ministry you want me to do. Then I will build the rest of my life around that because that's what you have called me to. And please, please, before we go on to, to the second point, Please know I'm not saying that it's bad to take vacations or to go to Disney or to let your kids be in sports. We, we got the SeaWorld passes. My kids do the sports things. I did sports. And I'm not saying you just have to sit around and read your Bible all day because that's the only way of putting God first. I'm not saying that. We're supposed to enjoy this life, enjoy beauty, enjoy food. There's so many beautiful things about this life and, and your family. You should be good parents. The challenge is to make sure that the kingdom is coming first. And then God says, I'm gonna add in all these other things. I'm gonna add in the family, the business, the, uh, all those other things that, that we love about this life. Okay, so we're now we're going to finish the last verse in James. We've got one more that we're gonna look at. And it's verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Well, we'll just throw one more tough verse on there because why not? We haven't had enough to think about. Let's just say it one more time. For whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. He's saying here that knowledge without practice is sin. When we know the right thing to do, we know God has asked us to do something or to not do something or to give something. We know it, but we don't do it. That's essentially what the book of James is about. It's like, be about it, don't talk about it. It's pretty much the theme of the whole book. Knowledge, without doing it, without practicing it, scripture says is sin. That's a tough word. And we see this theme other places in the New Testament. I think about Luke chapter 12, where it says that the servant who knew his master's will but didn't prepare himself, didn't do anything, that that servant should be beat up and cast out. You have knowledge, but you're not actually practicing what you know to be true, what you know God has told you. Even just thinking of the simple concept of prayer. It's like we all know, as Christians, we're supposed to pray, we should pray. God says, don't worry about anything, don't be anxious, but instead make prayers and petitions. We know it. How often do I end up worrying more than praying? That means I have knowledge and I'm not doing it. I'm not practicing it. And so when we know the good we ought to do, this means God has impressed something on your heart to reach out to someone, to start a ministry, to, to, to whatever it is, something good, something righteous that you're supposed to do when we say, okay, but let me finish high school first, because high school is really me time, it's fun time. Like, let me finish high school first, then I'll start doing that good thing, God. Well, no, now, now let me finish college, because this is important to set up my career. Okay, I still know the good thing, I know the things, the passions God's put on my heart for his kingdom, but let me, now I've started a family, let me wait until my kids are grown. Well, now they're grown, but I really should get in those last few years before they start their own life. Well, now the kids are gone. But it can seem so harsh. Like, why is James saying that to simply not practice, not to do what he's asked us to do? Why is that a sin? That, that's so harsh. That's, that seems too intense. But think about it this way. Let's think about the implications of it. 
When God calls you and he says, here is this thing, Aslan, the, I cre- the purpose I created you for, here it is. Here's why you're on this earth. Here's why I put you in this family. Here's why I put you in that school. Here's why I put you in this business. Here it is. Here's your purpose. And we're like, cool, 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 cool. Just wait. Cool, cool, cool. Wait, 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 wait. Let me just finish this part of my life. This is your purpose, Aslan. This is a good thing. Here's, you know what it is. Yeah, but let me just do this first. Let me just finish this. Let, we're saying, I know what you created me for. I, I've received, I, I know what you're impressing on my part, heart. But my temporary worldly gains are more important than the purpose you put me here for. And, and it's not that those, our worldly things are bad, but when we don't make the kingdom of God first, then, then when the winds come, when the rain comes, when the storm blows, that whole thing, that whole business I spent my whole life building, even for good purposes, to leave inheritance to my children. It was maybe for a good reason, but if my whole identity is built on that company and the economy crashes and I lose it, then my whole house blows down. If my whole identity has been on my sexuality and that fulfillment, or on my looks, or on my wealth, or on my popularity, the the wind, the storm will come. And if it's not built on the identity of Christ, on the rock, with his kingdom first, they're gonna be left with no building standing, no foundation left to stand on. So this challenge from James, I think is very important for us to consider at the start of this year. God, I, I already made all my plans, I've got ideas, but let me check in. What do you have first that you're calling me to do for your kingdom? And then I will build my life around that. Just quickly as we close, I just want to point out, this this could be a whole nother sermon and we we don't have time to go there, but I just want to say it because it's good and it's in here. I, I want to point out this, for him it is sin. I just want to say that quickly because there are, of course there's general guidelines of holiness we're called to live by as a Christian. But this is saying there's going to be something God puts on your heart to do that you are passionate about that's for you. For you not to do that, it's a sin. It doesn't mean for me not to do that, it's a sin. And we can get this attitude towards churches, towards our friends. It's like, why aren't you passionate about the cause I'm passionate about? And we get this attitude, like judgment, but it's like, look, that's the good God put on your heart to do. So you are called to do it. And for you not to do it, then you're in sin. So if I were to come up here and say, you guys are all in sin because you haven't adopted. Is that scriptural? No, there's nothing in scripture saying you have to adopt or you're in sin. It says you should care for the widows and orphans. That doesn't, how you care for them is not the same way I'm gonna care for them. And so this is the path God has my family on. But if I were to come up in here and be like, guess y'all just love sinning. Y'all gotta get to adopting. No, no. It's, so it helps keep our hearts in check when you're like, why isn't this church? I've had a lot of conversations with people. And it's like, why don't we have a ministry for this or a ministry for that? And, and it's like this offense is building. I'm saying, because no one has started it. Do you feel that, Pat? Do you feel called? <gasps> then you're the one. You're the one. 
You're the one that's supposed to do that. There is no end to depravity and pain and brokenness in our community. So there should be lots and lots and lots of ministries in here. Maybe we're only doing 20 ministries right now, but God's calling us to 100 ministries. But it takes you saying, God, I hear you. I receive that spiritual download of what you're telling me. I'm gonna do this. This is the good you've given to me to do. Okay, my encouragement to you, for those of you, I think it was mentioned during the... um, announcements and the worship, but we have started our 21-day fast. We like to start every January uh, fasting just for, for this purpose. Lord, it's a new year. Let's, let's stir up our flesh a little bit. And, and fasting means you give up something that you enjoy or that you like or that you go to often because it makes you stop and think and realize, oh, I need to spend this time with God. You're not giving up sin. Sin you should be forsaking all the time if you're a Christian. You're like, I'm going to give up sin and cool. That's not fasting. That's righteous living. Do that, but let's add. Let's add. Uh, So, you know, maybe you're not going to eat sweets. And so every time I go to reach for chocolate, uh, that Miss Ruth brings us from Scotland every Christmas. And now we have a whole bag on this fast and it's a real drag. But every time I go to reach for that dairy milk, I think, oh, wait, wait. This is my time to check in with God. God, I'm here. I'm listening. I'm listening, and when my flesh is like, eat that chocolate, I'm like connecting with God. So that's the point of fasting. It it stirs up our flesh. Maybe it's not listening to music uh, for 21 days, and every time you go to listen to music, you think, oh no, this is my time to pray. Whatever it is, I encourage you, if you've never done it, join in with us. Join in. We're not gonna laugh you out of the room if you pick something too small. Join in, try it. I encourage you, go for it. Try to give up something that you enjoy that will make you think about God more in the next 21 days. And with that, during this time, I'm encouraging all of us, myself included, to go to God and say, what is your will for me this year? Is there something you want me to do? In what ways are you wanting me to pass it on this year? I'm gonna set aside all the ideas I had, all the plans I had. I'm gonna say, okay, wait a second, let me set that aside. God, is there something I'm missing? Is there something I haven't been practicing that I know to do? And if you tell me something, Lord, I'm committing to making space for it in my life so that your things are first and my worldly desires are second. They're not sinful desires, but they're second to the kingdom of God or they ought to be as Christians. If you're married, I encourage you to go to your spouse and and ask, how can I help support you in pursuing the good God has called you to this year? What can I do? Because it's a team. Look, every time I'm up here preaching, guess who has the kids? David. Does he get glory in that? Or my mother-in-law, or my family. (laughs) It's a a group effort to make one thing happen. And it's like, well, you're the one getting attention. I know. But the humility to support your spouse and say, you go do the thing God's called you to do. I'll support that. You should be doing that for each other, for whatever those things are, as much as you are able in each season. And please, just my final thing, and then um, I'm gonna close in prayer. Please know that I recognize and I concede that there are seasons for things, okay? There's only 24 hours in a day. Each person has a different capacity. I'm not saying that every single thing you think you're ever gonna do for God, you better be doing right this second. There are seasons where God's like, wait, it's not, not yet. Here's what you can be doing now. Here's what we're working towards. But in this season, do this. I'm not saying do everything you can never think of, and if you don't, you're in sin. The point is, let's ask God first. What is your will for this year? It's the next six months. And then maybe at six months we check in again because life changes and you, can't, and you don't know what's gonna happen. 
And so you're checking in and saying, I want to do your will first. And maybe in this season, it's something much smaller. Then that's okay. You're still being obedient. But the point is to check with him first and not be scared to ask him because you're like, well, I don't want him to tell me to do something I don't want to do. We need to check in with him first and be obedient. So let's stand and pray as we close. And as I was praying this week, I believe that the Lord gave me a word for someone. And I don't know if this is for one person or I don't know if it's for 30 people. But what I felt the Lord told me for someone here is the call to build your life inside of Christ that you've built this beautiful home and this beautiful life and these beautiful friends and what, et cetera. You've built it right here next to Christ. And you walk over and you visit and you check in and you go on a Sunday and you visit in your heart. But God is saying, leave the house you built on the unstable foundation and come into my life. That's a call for someone here today. Leave the house. And the, 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 the verse that kept coming to mind is Colossians 3, 1 through 3, that your life, it has to be hidden in Christ. That you have been raised with Christ and now the call is to look not at worldly things, but on things that are above. But when you've built your life on something else, it's hard to keep your eyes on Christ because you're working so hard to keep your identity on those other things. So come in and have your life be hidden in Christ. Jesus, we ask this morning that each one of us would check in with you. God, we wanna know what are your goals for our life? How are we supposed to be passing it on this year? You first, God, and then all the other beautiful, wonderful things about this life pack in around that but you first. So Father, right now I'm asking for those that are hungry, if you raise your hands or put them out or sit in your, kneel down, whatever you wanna do, but say, God, show me, talk to me, impress on my heart. Is there something I'm missing this year? What is your will for me to seek your kingdom first? Because I trust you, Lord. I trust that you're going to add everything else. You're going to take care of all my other needs if I am seeking your righteousness first.